This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. And in case you're a first-time listener, you should know that every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from the legaltalknetwork.com. So be sure to tune in, or uh, I probably should say log in, to hear some very informative and provocative shows. We've done, uh, I'd say, about almost 100 shows uh, since we started this, and it's, uh, they're all there for you to look at and, uh, and listen to. I think, uh, I think you'll enjoy them. Well, today we're going to be talking about a very interesting uh, subject that maybe a lot of you aren't aware of, and it's, it's called posse comitatus. And posse comitatus comes from a Latin word for power of the county, and uh, we'll, we'll be defining it as we go along with our guests. But this law dates back to 1878, and it defines the role of the U.S. military in our lives here at home in America. And... What does this have to do with the state of affairs in 2008? Well, we're going to talk about that uh, because there's, there have been some incidents and some uh, events around the world that have brought it to light, and uh, we'll be talking about that with our uh, with our special guest. But first, I'd like to introduce my co-host, who's also from Ringler. He's uh, Bill Wright from our Ringler Atlanta office. Uh, Bill comes to us with uh, 18 years of experience. He's responsible for marketing uh, and assisting in the resolution of a variety of settlements, and he can provide assistance in the uh, design of uh, structured settlements wherever you may be. So he's, uh, he's one of my favorites. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Larry. Good to be with you today. Thank you very much. Our special guest is attorney Robert Shannon, a partner in the Atlanta law firm of Hall, Booth, Smith, and Slover, PC. Uh, frankly, he's one of the top lawyers in the Southeast. And attorney Shannon has served as lead or co-counsel in a wide variety of of multi-district litigation and class actions in both federal and state courts. He's admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, even more interesting, he has a very uh, extensive military background. As a matter of fact, he was recently nominated to the rank of Brigadier General. And uh, uh, Bobby, uh, do you carry a gun? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I don't. Not usually, Larry. Well, that's good. Well, that's a very impressive uh, background. And the military side of things... Uh, dovetails very nicely into the uh, topic we have today. Uh, this posse comitatus, uh, it's important. I think it's worthy of our discussion, basically due to the global war on terrorism involving how the military is being used both inside and outside the U.S. Why don't you give us a uh, kind of a background as to what is posse comitatus? How does it all uh, dovetail now today with what's going on around us? Well, Larry and Bill, the uh, Posse Comitatus Act is an act that was um, passed by the Congress in June of 1878. And in fact, the law really defines the role of the military in the enforcement of, of civil law enforcement. And so the reason that it's, um, it's uh, kind of a hot topic today is because of the global war on terrorism and where does the military, what's the military's role 
uh, within the uh, borders of the United States in, in Hurricane Katrina. Bobby, now we know that the Posse Comitatus Law bans the Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marines from participating in arrests, searches, seizures of evidence, and other police-type activity on the U.S. soil, and the Coast Guard and the National Guard troops under control of state governors are excluded. But what recent legal challenges to Posse Comitatus have come about? Well, you know, there, there, there hasn't been actually any recent legal challenges. You, you'll see various uh, legal challenges in the district courts or the state courts, um, but the significance is the legislation that's passed. If you, if you go back to uh, 2005 and what happened as a result of Hurricane Katrina, you know, there was a issue between uh, the Governor Blanco uh, and the decisions that were made in Louisiana and the President of the United States, and, and at what point in time were uh, was Blanco going to ask for, for federal assistance? And so, anyway, the situation deteriorated, and it became a, uh, an embarrassing um, scenario for the uh, state of Louisiana. The president at the time pushed for more uh, direct involvement to make the decision, even without the request of the governor of Louisiana, to send federal troops into Louisiana. And so, in uh, 2006, um, the Republican-controlled Congress uh, passed legislation that allowed the President of the United States, um, despite you know, to 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 create an exception within Posse Comitatus, to uh, go into a state without the approval of the governor in the event of a natural disaster or anything other than insurrection. Well, you know, Bobby, this brings to mind this whole issue of what we call the slippery slope. Uh, after 9-11, obviously, we became, uh, you know, our, the hair was up on our neck and we were, we were very aware of what was happening in our country. Obviously, there were people here in the country who may present a threat and uh, want to do some harm. But how do we balance the protection of, of our own citizens here and the rights of everyone not to live in, in so-called a police state under the law? You know, coming off of what you mentioned about Katrina, when when does that you know, step over the bounds when when the government brings the troops in to to uh, do something that shouldn't shouldn't really be done under the Posse Comitatus law. Well, Larry, you know, in fact, I think going back to the question that Bill asked a little bit earlier in terms of recent court cases and and the the most recent legislation, and I was talking about it, and I did my answer wasn't actually complete. It said uh, as a result of the Hurricane Katrina in two thousand and six. The Republican-controlled Congress uh, made exception to Posse Comitatus, but then in January 2008, um, the Congress, or certainly led by Senator Patrick Leahy, then repealed that legislation in a Democrat-controlled Congress, and so that sort of took us back to where we were prior to 2006. And so the Insurrection Act and the uh, Posse Comitatus Act uh, went back to where it was prior to that new legislation in 2006. And, and, and that's the debate, you know, when you look at the debate um, in Congress as to, you know, the balancing act between the military. You know, the military brings a tremendous amount of resources to law enforcement. Um, there's technology and equipment um, that they can bring uh, in this global war on terrorism, but also as we can see at Hurricane Katrina, nobody wants a repeat of Hurricane Katrina. And the lesson that we learned from both Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Rita is the fact that it is very difficult to evacuate a large American city. And so the military brings this uh, tremendous amount of resources and logistical resources uh, to the table, but at the same time, there's this probably long standing fear of the military. Uh, yeah, kind of a fear of an occupation, do. so to speak, after the fact, right? I mean, part of that. 
Well, you, you know, I think I think it's it's the thought that you know when you think of the military, they bring brute force, and certainly mm-hmm. in in recent. Uh, um, times here lately, you saw the uh, video footage of the uh, of the police officers from Philadelphia, or you see what's going on in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, even here in Atlanta, the uh, the trial that was going on with the police officers uh, and the drug uh, task force that you know kicked down the home of a 92 year old woman, thinking she was a uh, drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And so when people think see those images in their mind, they think, well, the military is even bigger and more brutal and can certainly get out of control. But, you know, in, in any of those cases, you know, um, there are a lot of things that the military can bring, even in a passive way in terms of surveillance, um, you know, and other logistical um, support that doesn't necessarily um, bring that kind of concern. But still, the military or, or the public and some of our political leaders still have this uh, this concern about the military, and certainly uh, with some of the political leadership and their use of the military. Well, do you see, do you see it breaking down clearly in party lines? I mean, are the Republicans looking to expand the use, let's say, of of the military in, in events like this, and are the Democrats trying to trying to control it and ratchet it back? Well, you know, we're we're, we're in an election year, and certainly the military and this whole global war on terrorism can be. Um, a political football. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, going back and, and looking at the history of Posse Comitatus, and maybe even going back to, to a time that, uh, you know, the events of 2001 and what happened in 9-11, uh, the United States was declared um, a battle space. And for the people that, that don't really understand that, you know, in relation to a battlefield is the fact that um, you know, our global war and terrorism can engage a threat to the United States uh, in a multi-dimensional manner, and, and so it's an asymmetrical type warfare where we're not just going out to war against a nation. You know, it's individuals who come to bring the fight onto our soil, and, you know, the, the military uh, has to be able or has resources that can respond to that in a better way that, that I believe than, than law, law enforcement. You know, it's it's funny you should use the term battle space. Uh, I, I saw that term. I actually thought it was a misprint. I, 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 I'm unf- I was unfamiliar with that terminology. I guess I guess we're all becoming more knowledgeable about some of these issues as we go along. Yeah, and, and again, it, it is something that, that may be unfamiliar to the general public, but when you look at how warfare is engaged today, um, you know, Air Combat Command is uh, there is a Air Combat Command is a is a major command in the Air Force, and they're splitting off a, a major command called Cyber Command. And and Cyber Command is preparing uh, a, a segment of the Air Force in preparation for engaging in this network type uh, warfare where uh, the threat can be against our computers. Um, space is becoming uh, a part of the battle space and, and our use of the space. Uh, space. Uh, certainly, we see in Iraq, you know, uh, non-governmental agents or organizations who aren't affiliated with any particular nation using IEDs in the in the threat of violence to achieve their polit- political needs. And so, the the battle is not just taking place on a any battlefield. It, it's as I said, a multi-dimensional uh, type warfare. And, and, and does this? Uh, I know we're talking about, let's say, governmental military forces, but does this also involve, in any way, private security forces? Uh, can can the government, uh, in essence, marshal these private security forces to take to kind of you know get around the posse comitatus uh, you know restrictions as far as the military itself? I mean, you could see some mischief potentially being made here, can't you? 
No, well, you know, I don't know if I necessarily see that. I, I think that you, you know, there's a lot of concern about um, Blackwater and those Blackwater exactly. type operations in, in Iraq, and, and that's not necessarily something that you're going to see because, um, you know, the military has a role and the law enforcement has a role. And if you go back, uh, you know, to the, to the beginning of our country, you know, when you start thinking about who is going to enforce uh, federal um, law enforcement, you know, you didn't have the the CIA and you didn't have the FBI. What you had was the military, and so through history, um, you, you you have a very viable police force, and that encompasses the CIA and the and, and the FBI. So I don't necessarily see that happening. That's not not in the United States. And Bill, Bill I think you're interested. Uh, you were telling me in some of the legal arguments. Yes, exactly. Um, Bobby, I was wondering with the uh, recent amendments to and then repeals of the changes in the Posse Comitatus, can you give us some of the legal arguments on both sides of the case? Well, you know, the, you know, the, the long-standing issue is, and, and what people believe, is that the Constitution, and certainly you can take uh, many of your Bill of Rights and say, well, the, the military can easily trample on, on the Bill of Rights, because uh, military members aren't necessarily trained uh, with a thought of affecting arrest with due process and, you know, reading a person his or her rights. And so, um, and, and then, you know, in, in addition to Capaci Comitatus, as I said to you earlier, that the military brings a tremendous amount of resources to the table. Um, full motion video, you know, the uses of uh, Predator and, and um uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. Um, there's a lot of resources that the, the military brings that it can encroach on one civil right. On the other side of the coin is that um, you know the use of the military has really been a part of our nation's history, going back to the Judiciary Act of 1789, in which the Congress created the judiciary and the U.S. Marshal to enforce the the law, and then eventually the Congress gave the uh, the use of militias. And then eventually the military um, to be used by the marshals to enforce civil law, and, and there's a long progression of that uh, through our history, where ultimately you've seen the military certainly before 1878 used to enforce um, civil law. So, so there's a long history of legislation in case law. Uh, one of the things that I find to be interesting about Posse Comitatus, it was passed in 1878, and um, a few months uh, after uh, Posse Comitatus got passed, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Nathan Dudley was asked by the local sheriff in New Mexico to support uh, his men in uh, trying to uh, effect an arrest of some men that were held up at a house. Uh, it actually turned out to be Billy the Kid, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dudley showed up with a Gatling gun and a bunch of folks and shot up the house and killed five people. He was later indicted for a posse comitatus, but he was not actually uh, uh, convicted. I thought you were going to say it was Dudley Do-Right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, know, you know, the other thing about uh, posse comitatus for our, for our audience, you know, the, the place that most people probably have heard that term, interestingly enough, is it was taken by one of these uh, almost a skinhead group. You're familiar with this? A, right. A skinhead right. group, kind of a militia, one of those uh, unwieldy militia-type groups took on that title and was causing some havoc out there. And I guess they were laying claim to uh, you know some right that they thought they had that maybe the uh, – that the government wasn't wasn't allowing them to do, but isn't that where most people would have heard that term? Yeah, 
you know, I, th- I think that, you know, outside the military, and I think the general lay public, that that, that may be true, um, you know, it's their belief, and, and I'm not going to uh, profess to be a, an expert on those type of organizations. They, they call them right-wing survivalist-type organizations. Exactly. But, but it's, it's, it's their thought that the federal government um, plays very little role in their lives, and the highest uh, authority they recognize in their county is the county sheriff, and uh, obviously the term, the power of the county. And, um, you know, wh- one of the things that I always tell people when I, when I talk about posse comitatus, both from a military standpoint and a legal standpoint, is that uh, when people talk about posse comitatus today, particularly libertarians and people who are, uh, you know, who use the U.S. Constitution to say, you know, the military is going to trample on their rights, I really talk about a lot about the history of uh, posse comitatus going back through, um, you know, the uh, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, in which posses, and, and, and posse comitatus is the power of it county, and the posse comitatus act says you can't use the military to be a part of your posse. But um, when the Fugitive, Fugitive Slave Act was um, was passed, and slaves were escaping to the north. Um, they uh, compelled men and women who were, there were a number of abolitionists in the North that did not want to uh, assist the government in capturing slaves and returning them to slaveholders. And so the uh, the government at the time says, well, you know, under the uh, Calling Forth Act, you can use the militia and then ultimately the military to do that. We fast forward to the Civil War. Um, at the end of the Civil War, when you had uh, Reconstruction, uh, they used the military to enforce the, the laws in the South, and particularly the, uh, the amendment of the 13th, 14th, and the 15th Amendment. Um, and so the uh, Southerners were very upset about the use of the military that when they were readmitted into the Union, uh, and then after the Amnesty Act of 1872, uh, there was a huge disdain for the military, and the Posse Comitatus Act was actually a part of an amendment to an appropriations bill. And uh, that's how it ultimately got passed, and that's really the, the history of it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember in uh, Reconstruction how there were a lot of military, uh, you know, down military folks down in the southern states trying to keep order and doing things. And I think that, you know, people got they, – they, they almost naturally pushed back at that, and I think that was probably galvanizing – Everything you're talking about here, and you know, some a lot of us uh, and a lot of people uh, all around this issue have been talking about how the military is really not trained to be a police force. We even saw this in Iraq, where the military was being used for a while to be a police force, and in Afghanistan, uh, and that they should stick to things that they're they're best suited for. Uh, as we talk about posse comitatus, what are some of the things that the military could be used for? Uh, and still be, uh, you know, be found to be legal? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, the, the military, since Posse Comitatus, has really grappled with, um, you know, what is a violation of Posse Comitatus. And, and if you look at the act itself, I mean, there's a lot of exceptions to Posse Comitatus that basically says, um, you know, under the Constitution of Congress, Authorize or the Constitution authorizes an exception or the use of the military that is acceptable under posse comitatus. Now, certainly we can look to insurrection. You know, if there's going to be a rebellion within the state, the president can call upon you know uh, the military to um, to uh, put down the, uh, the rebellion. We saw that in uh, Los Angeles in um, 
in, um, in 1992. But one of the cases that's really going to be, uh, it was really an important case that was instructive to the military as to how the military can be used uh, to enforce civil law was a case called U.S. versus Red Feathers, where the military was used in um, Wounded Knee. And as a result of the military's involvement, there was a court case, in the, uh, and in that particular case, the court sort of outlined the uh, the distinction between direct involvement and passive involvement, and so in passive involvement, um, you know the military can provide some type of support. Um, you know, one of the things that people talk about in searching for a criminal, well, the military can't be involved in searching for a criminal, but there may be instances where you're looking for a victim, and the military can play a role in looking for the victim. And so, the, you know, the, going, the actual act of assisting and going out and in, effecting in, uh, an arrest or, um, you know, a seizure, the military can't be involved, and that would be defined as more direct involvement. Interesting. Well, I think it's time to take a short break, uh, and when we return, we'll continue our very interesting discussion with Attorney and Brigadier General Bobby Shannon on uh, this. It's almost a history lesson. I think it's great. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host. And I'd like to welcome back our special guest, Attorney Bobby Shannon from Atlanta, Georgia, and my colleague and co-host today from Ringler Associates, also in Atlanta, Bill Wright. Well, we've been discussing uh, this controversial issue of what role the military should play in the enforcement of law on U.S. soil, which is really the whole essence of this posse comitatus, and it really came to light over Hurricane Katrina. This is where a lot of the issues around posse comitatus uh, came to the forefront. Bobby, why don't you talk about some of the issues in the in the Katrina scenario and what some of the lessons we've learned? You know, I, I think that we're still learning the lessons from Hurricane Katrina. I think um, in looking at Hurricane Katrina, and certainly uh, those of us in the military have studied that um, 
quite a bit what were the mistakes in, in Hurricane Katrina and what we could do and we couldn't do. One of the things I think it's important for listeners to understand is that, you know, when you look at the Posse Comitatus Act in itself, it, it basically banned the Army and the uh, Air Force. In fact, it was the Army and then the Air Force was added in 1956. It didn't ban the Navy, um, and certainly the Navy was added, or the Marine Corps was added by directive by the, um, by the Navy and the Department of Defense. And so one of the things I think it's also important to understand is the role of the National Guard, because the National Guard played a huge role in Hurricane Katrina. They were actually one of the first large forces to move into uh, New Orleans, particularly, but they were also in uh, Mississippi. And so, you know, they were not only engaged in the sort of search and recovery and search and rescue type of operations, they, they were actually patrolling um, some of the wards in uh, New Orleans, as we saw on TV, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that were going on. And, and so, so what has really come into play is that when, uh, when the United States was declared a potential battle space, there, you have to appoint a combatant commander, and today that combatant commander is at U.S. Northern Command in Colorado Springs, General Renewart. And so what are his forces? And so the thought is that his forces would come from the National Guard. And the reason the National Guard is immune from posse comitatus is because they're not a federalized, they can be a federalized force, but generally they're under the authority of the governor. Well, in Hurricane Katrina, it was a little bit different. You had forces from from just about every state in the in the nation going to Louisiana, and you know the the question is is what was the authority of the National Guard troops, uh, you know, in in uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, and and then you have to define the C2 structure, the command and control structure, or the unity command. Do they work for the governor of that state, and who is the who are the commanding officers? We saw General Honore, who was the three-star general, uh, go into uh, Louisiana, and, and, and what was his command? And so we're still trying to figure out, you know, uh, how does this whole come to come to uh, to come together? If you have that kind of event, and you can't look at Hurricane Katrina in in in, in the terms of campaign or military planning as just a natural disaster. It is if we if we take that scenario and we say, well, that's a weapons of mass destruction type event. Sure. Um, then you can say those types of scenarios, you know, the military's involvement and what do they do and how do they coordinate with the uh, local law and federal state agencies? Um, you know, what do they bring to bear and at what point they're getting involved in law enforcement? All, all those issues are still continuing to be debated and, and resolved. Very interesting. Very interesting. And, Bobby, that's a great lead into a question when you say that Hurricane Katrina is could be analogous to a weapons of mass destruction situation. How does Posse Comitatus apply when, in our current situation with Homeland Security situations, such as high-level terrorist threats to uh, major metro cities? You know, that's, uh, you know we, we are developing in the military uh, teams to respond to. In fact, those teams have been in place. Uh, for a uh, for a number of years to respond to those type of uh, events, what we call weapons of mass destruction uh, events, and so we have these teams called civil support teams, uh, where they go out to uh, large um, events such as large sporting events, and and they try to secure that area. They they do air sampling and they look for suspicious uh, materials around the event, and so the the, the military, you know. Um, currently today is uh, very engaged with respect to um, things that you may not even think that they're they're going to be involved in you know the military was heavily involved 
in uh, in narco terrorism and drugs that were flowing into the United States even before uh, 2001. And so the role has continued to expand. You know, the concern is uh, you know when it hits head on into the Posse Comitatus Act. Interesting. You know, and 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 where this all comes to the where they say the rubber hits the road is on the issue of how it affects citizens' rights and and this posse comitatus. I'm sure, I'm sure there were debates uh, since we've been talking some history here. I'm sure there were some debates back when the National Guard was federalized, let's say, to desegregate the University of Mississippi, I recall, uh, when I was younger. You know, where, right. where, where the president, because the governor isn't acting, federalizes these National Guard. Were there, do you think there were, were there posse comitatus discussions and debates going on then? Oh, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and those were cases where you, you know, throughout the South, through the Civil Rights uh, um, period, they were using both federal troops and, and the state militia or the National Guard. And certainly there were cries that that violated the um, Posse Comitatus Act, but the, the, the fallback position for the federal government, certainly the president of the United States at the time, was that um, parts of the Insurrection Act um, allowed um, the president of the United States when federal law was not being enforced by the governor that you can send federal troops in there and you can actually federalize the militia. And so, the, you know, those debates will continue. And so if you look out through recent history, um, you know, after 9-11, um, the military was sent into just about every major airport in the country. Um, we had aircraft flying, uh, combat aircraft flying, combat control patrols around the uh, every major American city. And so there, there is a continuing use, um, you, you know, now, uh, even more so, um, with the use of the military. Interesting. Yes. Bobby, has there been to this point a U.S. Supreme Court challenge? You know, um, there 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 has not uh, been, and um, when you when you look at um, you know how you how you uh, challenge the use of the military, um, and and what do you have to gain by by that? By the time a case gets to the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm assuming the event will be over, and the Supreme Court would actually identify that that was an appropriate use of the military, or that's not an appropriate use of the military. I would surmise that that's probably why there hasn't you haven't seen um, very many um, uh, challenges to posse comitatus because you know you're you're talking about um, some. Um, uh, agency requesting the military to be involved. I mean, it could be the president of the United States. It could be the governor asking for federal troops, and so somebody has to bring a lawsuit against that political leader, and then it's got to work itself up to the uh, Supreme Court. And by then, I would imagine the event is over. Well, you know, this is a very current topic. You know, in terms of both how we're dealing with homeland security issues, as we talked about, some of these natural disasters, and just trying to protect citizens' rights and balancing all of that. And you know, what a discussion we've had. I, as a history buff, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Bobby, do you have any closing thoughts? I, you know, I think that if um, if the uh, American public really understood, I think that most people don't really understand the use of posse comitatus. But I think the thing that people are going to have to be aware of is the fact is um, there is always going to be some changes to laws that people feel may encroach upon their civil rights in this kind of era that we live in and this war, this this undefined um, enemy in the global war and terrorism. 
And so um, it's something that's going to become a bigger and bigger issue as this global war and terrorism continues. No question about that. And as we face this election this year, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about some of those uh, some of those exact issues. Well, Bobby, if someone wanted to get some more information from you or, or contact you, how would they do that? You can send me an email. My email address is uh, robert.shannon at uh, hbss.net. Cool. And uh, Bill, how about yourself? Uh, the same way. My email address, Larry, is bwright at ringlerassociates.com or toll-free at 888 888- Two six three seven five seven seven. Thank you very much. And you know you can reach any Ringler Associate through ringlerassociates.com. Uh, go to the website. You'll see a lot of interesting information. The radio shows are also there uh, for your. Uh, you can pick and choose and see which one you want to listen to. And hopefully you listen to this one because it's going to be uh, something I think we're all learn from. Well, once again, thanks to our guest Bobby Shannon. Thanks again to Bill, and to all of you out there. Go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ring the Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.